Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everybody, it's Howard David live for a Friday. We welcome in Sean Powell from NBA.com. Sean, I'm looking online and I saw um, something on online that describes you as, quote, part-time golfer, full-time sports writer, lifetime dad. The last part of that I really liked. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the most important part. So that's the, uh, that's the ultimate. I- I'll give up the other two, particularly I'll give up golf since I'm so bad at it <laughs> uh, for, for that uh, for that last one. No games last night in the NBA, but there was NBA news. Uh, the NBA uh, suspended Memphis forward Dylan Brooks for one game uh, for the um, dirty play on Golden State's Gary Payton the second. That was in game two. Uh, Steve Kerr said it might not have been intentional, but it was dirty. Now, Peyton will be out for three weeks. Does it seem right that Brooks is suspended for one game? You know, it's one of those situations with uh, how NBA players are punished. I always thought that if you cause injury to a player, you should stay out as long as that player is out. Um, But, of course, the Players Association would never agree to anything like that. Uh, I think that the league after looking it over, agreed that he wasn't trying to intentionally harm him. But it was an act that was so harmful and could have been avoided that they felt that they had to suspend him. If you looked at the video, and I looked at it seven, eight, nine times, Brooks is flat-footed. He didn't jump up to try to block the shot. He's flat-footed. He grabs him by the shirt and he pulls him down. That may not have been intentional, but it it was a, a I was I expected a one game suspension, but clearly I thought he deserved more. Well, yes, uh, and and again, and I think these things are kind of delicate because of the players' association and the union. And I also think that the league probably says, you know what, these are the playoffs. Um, you know, when you start giving guys multiple game suspensions. Uh, as much as they might deserve it, and I'm not saying that's necessarily the case here, now you're starting to affect the quality of the game when you're starting taking important players out. And again, if a player deserves multiple game suspensions, by all means, give it to him. But I think there's a lot goes into it when you're when you're assessing punishment for these things. Uh, and you know, look, we all wish it could have been avoided. First of all, because Gary Payton, second, he number one. He's worked hard to get to this level in the NBA. And number mm-hmm. two, he's like a little, he's like a chip off the old block, a very good defensive player. Uh, so therefore, you know, he was someone, a line of defense they needed for John Moran. Uh, and now you don't have him on the floor. Uh, you know, that's a, that, that's a, big, a pretty big deal for Golden State. Well, you look at now, um, there's two series that are tied at a game apiece, and one of them is Boston-Milwaukee. Um, you got the uh, Golden State-Memphis series that's tied at a game apiece. Uh, so that's good news for Milwaukee because they did what they had to do. They split on the road. Good news for Golden State because they split on the road. So as it relates to the other two, Phoenix is up 2-0 on Dallas. Game three tonight, and they're getting very little production from anybody other than Luka Doncic. Can they possibly survive with that playing that way? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> they, no, they, they can't. Uh, first of all, I thought 
that they would have to be on top of their game just to even make it a really good series. But, uh, you know, if it's, if it's the Lucas show, uh, no, this could be, I'm not saying it, but it could even be a sweep, but, uh, it could be over quick. Uh, they really need some help. Uh, the problem is obviously the help that they got last series with Spencer, uh, Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson, those guys have been ineffective. And for whatever reason, you know, uh, you know, look, they're going up against a better team. That's one reason why they're ineffective. But no, Dallas needs both of those two to um, even try to make it a series. And even if they were to perform, I still think the Mavericks are, you know, at a bit of a disadvantage. And it's a big picture here. The Mavericks, look, they're not going to get past the series, not going to win a championship, anything like that. They've got to find Luka, a big-time co-star. I look at it the same way as when uh, Dirk Nowitzki was with the Mavericks. All those years he's been with the Mavericks, he won one championship. He only went to the finals once, uh, uh, twice. Went to the finals twice. They lost Miami, and then the second time they beat Miami. Uh, but you would think that all those years with with the with the Dallas Mavericks, Dirk Nowitzki would have had a, a fellow, you know, a co-star. And he he did even the, the year they won the championship. To me, it was one of the all-time great runs by an individual player because he just didn't have a a great player next to him. Now, he had great role players, Jason Kidd, Jason Terry, uh, you know, and several others, but he didn't have a, a star. I hope that's not the case for Luka, and I think in the big picture, Dallas needs to hustle to try to find him uh, a co-star. Obviously, it's easier that's, that's, it's easier said than done. They don't grow on trees. You know, they, they don't fall from the sky, but I think he needs a co-star. Well, they thought they had it in Porzingis. It didn't work out that way. Uh, but let's give credit where credit is due to Phoenix. Uh, who makes the big plays in the fourth quarter? Chris Paul. Chris Paul has been a monster. He's Look, he's hungry. He, he wants to win his first championship. He's got a legitimate chance to do that. But his performance, particularly in the fourth quarter, late in games, has been duly noted. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you look, I mean, he's rising to the occasion, uh, which is what you expect from him. Uh, it's been very good, very solid, uh, but you know, this comes from years of experience and everything. Um, when you, when you're someone like him, and you're so used to being in this position, and you produce, I mean, those are the results you're going to get. Now we go to Joel Embiid. He is they, they say he's been ruled out, but he hasn't gone through protocol yet. So there's a possibility he may play at what level? Who knows? Uh, he's got to have surgery on the thumb. We already know that. But the, uh, the the injury sustained to the orbital bone clearly has been, uh, and, and the concussion as well, he's been ruled out. But even if he plays, do the Sixers have a chance? Uh, they're down 0-2 to Miami. Do they have a chance to catch the heat? Uh, I don't think so, only because they're down 0-2. If they had gotten a split in Miami, maybe. But even with the oil and being healthy, they were working at a bit of a disadvantage where they didn't have a, a large margin for error Miami is such a deep team Philadelphia needs maximum production from their three or four best players because their bench is so weak uh so um I, again I think it's an uphill climb and even if he comes back you know is he going to be dominant right away does he have to wear the mask and everything I mean who knows how that's going to turn out and we don't know if Miami is going to have Kyle Lowry either exactly well yeah, he's going to be a game-time decision. But to be honest with you, they play pretty well without him. Uh, I think this gives them, really gives them a bit of a luxury to be able to perform this well without Kyle Lowry. And that goes back to their depth. To be able to perform this well without Kyle Lowry, my thing is, hey, you know what? Let Kyle Lowry keep sitting. You know, make sure that he's well. Same thing with Jimmy Butler. I would say, because Jimmy Butler missed a couple games in the, in the previous series, I would say, hey, you know what? If we get up 3-0... I really don't necessarily need Jimmy Butler based on if, if you know, I'm getting the production from Victor Oladipo and, and Tyler Hero and a couple other players. And if Joel Embiid's not on the floor, you know, maybe I might be able to steal the game. You know, it's been found money with what they've gotten from Oladipo. Who would have expected that he'd be put on this kind of a performance? Well, I mean, he's been out for, for a little bit. Right. Uh, and, you know, he's been trying to work his way back to a point where he was maybe four years ago when he was in Oklahoma City and Indiana and he was a very good player. Uh, it's taken some time. And he's been humble. 
by the injury too. So uh, I think that here's the other thing: there's no pressure on him. He's coming to a team mm-hmm. that doesn't really need his help right away, so he can go out there and perform and everything, not worry about missing a shot or whatever. Uh, I think this is a great situation for him. Well, you mentioned Tyler Hero. He's voted the sixth man of the year. I mean, there's no. Uh, I, I looked at the ballots. He got 96 out of 100 ballots. There was no debate. Tyler Hero has been a monster coming off the bench. Well, it was the only award where I thought there was a runaway, where there's no suspense. Even going in, you knew he was going to win. Right. Uh, he's he played well. He's played, you know, the one thing of what he does is, and this is what I like about him, he's not like a strictly like a three-point shooter. He's got a mid-range game. He can go off the dribble. You know, you look at a lot of these players today, all they're doing is shoot threes or going to the hole. But Tali Hero can beat you in between the mid-range. And I think that's one reason why he has matured as a player the way he has. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, it, you know, there are games he's going to be a little bit reckless. He's going to make some mistakes. But by and large, he is not afraid to take the big shot. That's a, that's a Pat Riley type player. Pat Riley wants players in this team who want the ball in tough situations. He don't want players who are going to run and hide. And you know, you've been around this league long enough. You know there are players out there who want no part of that ball in the last two minutes of a tight game. Mm-hmm. Well, when you look at Miami... You've got Kyle Lowry, you've got Jimmy Butler, you've got Tyler Hero. Those guys don't mind having the ball. And that's the kind of guy you want on your team, even if he misses. That's that's fine. The bottom line is, if you're a defense, you have to guard him. You don't have to guard the guys who don't want the ball. You just let him go. But you have to guard the guys who want the ball. So that's just one more player that you have to concentrate on defensively. And that's why it's good uh, Miami, uh, for Miami that they have him on the, on the team. Uh, you know, just a tremendous player. He's still young, uh, and he's just looking to get some traction in the NBA, and he is getting traction in the league. Well, they, Sean, they're getting tremendous. Uh, I mean, the, the guy they went after from last year's Bucks team, P.J. Tucker, has been an important cog in their defensive uh, arrangement at a bio as well. But let me ask you about Duncan Robinson. He's kind of the lost soul now. Why, why has he been regulated to the bench? Well, I mean, he can only do one thing. Right. And if he's not doing it, he's unplayable. I look at the same thing with Bertans. If Bertans is not hitting a three-point shot, you can't play him. Because he doesn't dribble, doesn't pass, can't rebound, defense is so-so. I mean, if he's not hitting that, if he's not hitting the three-point, he is useless. And that's why Pat Riley gave out a bad contract. That's why I always caution the players, I mean, general managers in the league, beware of those guys who can only do that one thing. Because they're going to break your heart. If that shot's not falling, you've got to put him on a bench. Because what else is he going to do? He's just out there getting exercise. He's running up and down the floor. Yeah. And the bottom line is Miami has Miami has too much uh, depth to just try to force him on the floor. Look, they got Victor Oladipo. They'll just put him on the bench, and then he'll, that's where he'll sit. He's NBA.com Sean Powell. Uh, talk about the Golden State and, um, and uh, Memphis series. Look, John Morant has been must-see TV every night. He's an exciting player. He does things that you've never seen this side of Michael Jordan, uh, maybe even more athletic. But he, he has been phenomenal. And But here's the one thing that Memphis doesn't have, and that's experience. And this is where Golden State has an edge. They've got the experience in big spots. they won titles. As we're looking at it now, and I know the series is 1-1, but, you know, when it gets to crunch time in games three and four in Golden State, you wonder if the Golden State experience is finally going to kick in. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I mean, if you look at the year that Memphis had, I mean, you know, they're, uh, they're you know, number two in, in the West and everything. They had a good year and all that. Uh, but, I mean, this is a pretty good challenge for them, uh, just being a young team and going up against the Warriors. And actually for the Warriors – this is also a challenge for them. You know, a team that's like well-balanced, it's just not afraid. I mean, you look at those Memphis players, I mean, they're not afraid of being there. I mean, they're, they're doing what they can. Uh, they, they feel that they can win a championship. And you look at a lot, a lot of young teams that come to this place, they don't feel they're just happy to be here. And I, I kind of don't get that feeling with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, I haven't talked about the Boston-Milwaukee series. Giannis is playing like Giannis. He's he's getting to the foul line again like he always does. But in the last couple of games, he's been he's shooting like 55% from the free throw line. Uh, as much as he goes to the foul line, they need more production because he was shooting at a high over 70% not that long ago. 
But, you know, Giannis is Giannis, and I'm just wondering, from Boston, as great as they play defense, how do you contain this guy? Well, I mean, he, yeah, you're right. Giannis is Giannis. I mean, he's going to do what he does, and he's one, that's why he's one of the great, if not the best player in the NBA. He's going to absorb contact. He's going to go hard down the lane. Uh, he's going to get you know trips to the free throw line, and he's just a tough check because you're just not sure what to take away from him. You know that he's he's improved his outside shot, so now you got to respect him a little bit more on the outside, particularly in the mid range, not necessarily the three point line. You kind of want to encourage him to take those, but the mid range, you know, he's you know a little bit better. So you're constantly throwing multiple bodies to him and everything, and hoping that you know you can you know slow him. But I don't think it's about stopping him. I really think it's about stopping his teammates and making sure that they don't hit the shots when when he does pass the ball. Because when that happens, then it's a little bit tough. And they haven't had Chris Middleton to this point. You hearing anything about Chris Middleton's return? No, nothing, nothing. Right now, it's just, you know, they're they're not totally sure. Uh, It's, you know, it's day-to-day, I guess. Uh, Originally, he was supposed to be out uh, two weeks. But, uh, you know, right now, they're just not sure. But Drew Holiday is playing extremely well, uh, very aggressive, both ends of the floor, uh, a major reason why uh, they were able to split two in Boston. So now Boston, who uh, whitewashed the Nets and, and, and swept them, uh, their defense we know is, is solid, but is it going to be good enough to get, at bare minimum, a split in Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, look, Drew Holiday is just one of the, uh, best two-way players in the NBA. I mean, he's and the, the thing about what I like about him most is that he has been uh, a good complement to Giannis and Chris Middleton. Now, when you when he's on the floor, you know he can help you out at both ends. Even if he's cold offensively, he's going to be able to get things done defensively. So, you know, by and large, I mean Milwaukee's got a good nucleus. Well, look, it's the same nucleus they they used to win the championship last year, uh, and I think you know. It's you know it's going to help this year. The problem this year is they're they're running up against the hottest team in the NBA, it's the Boston Celtics, and so therefore they don't really have an advantage of being a hot team. They got a team hotter than them, uh, and a team where you've got to guard multiple positions. You know, I mean, you, you saw uh, Jalen Brown go off. You know, Jason Tatum obviously is going to be hot, and he has been hot since Boston started winning. So uh, yeah, I mean, look, the Bucks have their work cut out for them. No, no question in this series. Let me talk about a couple of things uh, that don't involve teams that are in the series. I saw an article this morning about the Nets' future and where it was going to go, and it centered around Kyrie Irving. Uh, he can either opt in or opt out. Long-term contracts, obviously, in the discussion. But if you're Sean Marks and the and you're the owner of the Nets, do you consider trading Kyrie Irving? With me, Sean? Well, I'm sorry. Anybody can be traded. It's just a matter of what you get for him. Uh, I mean, but, I mean, again, who's going to give you up something uh, equal value? I'm not so sure you can get that with him. Uh, You're just going to do the best you can. uh, And maybe, you know, maybe it works out with him. But it's a tough situation with him. Uh, Only because, look, I mean, he's a quirky guy. But he's a talented guy. And so you have to take the good with the bad. Um, I don't know. It'll be a summer of soul searching for the Nets and for Kyrie Irving to figure, figure out, you know, what what's best. Well, you know, look, I, I, those, he calls himself uh, a martyr. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you say quirky. He's been a problem in Cleveland. He's been a problem in Boston. Now he's a problem in Brooklyn. And you're right. He's supremely talented. There's no question about it. Otherwise, if he wasn't, then when they, you remember when they said we don't want a part-time player and they, and they they don't want him on the floor and they and they relented on that. If he wasn't as talented as he is, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. But he is this talented, and I'm wondering how much input Kevin Durant is going to have. I mean, we don't know what Kevin Durant's true feelings are with Kyrie Irving. I mean, you know, again, he's he's had to put up a lot, particularly for someone who got rid of uh, Steph Curry for Kyrie Irving. That was a, To me, that was always a bad trade. Even, <laughs> right. even if Kyrie Irving yeah. would, 
was vaccinated. But uh, yeah, I mean, you you have to look in life in any company you go to. If there's that employee who means that much for the bottom line, then you're going to put up with stuff because he means that much for the bottom line. But the second he doesn't mean that much for the bottom line, you get rid of him. It's the same thing in sports. You put up with things with Kyrie Irving because he's he's so good. And if he wasn't good, they would have cut him loose yesterday, five days ago, ten days ago, ten months ago. But the bottom line, he's a good player. And you have to have him on your team if you want to win. And the whole thing in this league is about winning. Well, you had him on your team and you didn't win. And then the, the other factor is look at his look at his stat sheet for his career. He misses games, a lot of games, for one reason or another, whether it's injury or personal reasons or, you know, a variety of things. He, I mean, he's got he, – he gets to a point where I can imagine the owner of the Nets and the general manager, Sean Marks, pounding their head against the wall with some of the antics that Kyrie Irving has put forth. Yeah, uh, you know, he, um, he, look, the bottom line is it would be great if the Nets could get a player who didn't have the high maintenance issues. And you really wonder how much of this is going to affect their window, their championship window. I mean, you know, look, Kevin Durant is what, 32 years old? Mm-hmm. And he, look, he's playing at a high level and everything, but, you know, how much, how much longer? They don't have James Hardy anymore. Uh, ben Simmons is now a question mark. You know, you're not sure at, at this point, but the back surgery, what's he going to give you? So I think the Nets are in a state of flux. When the season began, the Nets had James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, all healthy, ready to go. Then Kyrie doesn't get the vaccination. Then James Harden wants out. In a span of about four or five months, they went from NBA championship favorite to a team a little bit in a little bit of turmoil. And it's, it's strange. I can't find a comparable uh, for, for a team that didn't suffer a major injury. Remember, the Nets didn't suffer a major injury. A lot of teams who are championship favorites when the season begins, they suffer a major injury, and all of a sudden, you know, they're knocked down the size. The Nets didn't suffer a major injury. They didn't have a big contract holdout. None of that. It was just a weird, quirky situation where one player refused to get the vaccination and therefore they tumbled, and then the other player decided he wanted out, he wanted to bail, and they had to trade him in midseason. NBA.com, Sean Powell. Let's talk about a couple of other... We know there's going to be coaching changes. That happens every single year. Let me ask you uh, uh, something based on track record. Doc Rivers' track record in the playoffs not very good. If he gets swept in this series, albeit without Embiid, I know, I understand it's a valid excuse, but is Doc Rivers in trouble? Oh, that is a great question. I I don't know. I, You know, I don't know. I wonder what the Sixers owners, forget Daryl Moy for a second, the general manager. I wonder what the Sixers owners are thinking. Championship aspirations coming into this year. Joel Embiid put up MVP numbers and everything, and he, for the most part, he was healthy until this latest incident. And I wonder how much they feel that Doc Rivers held them back, if at all. Uh, the other thing is, maybe Doc jumps before he's pushed. Maybe another team with a coaching vacancy asks the Sixers for permission to speak to Doc Rivers, and Doc Rivers feels that you know what, my future will be a a lot better with Team X than it is with Philadelphia. I don't know that, though. I'm just throwing that out there as a potential situation. Or the Sixers might say, hey, you know, we're going to run it back with Doc. You know, he was Delta Banner. And he was. You know, didn't have Ben Simmons. And James Harden. Not the James Harden he thought he was. So this is where they are. And whether they keep Doc, I'm not so sure. Well, we, it'd be interesting to find out. Meanwhile, Sacramento's uh, starting to talk to people, uh, and one of those that, they, that they're going to interview or have already is Mark Jackson. I'm just wondering, I, Mark Jackson hasn't gotten a coaching job all this time since he left the Warriors. He did a good job there, and he left Steve Kerr with a full stock cupboard. Yeah, you know, that's one of the weird things I don't know about. Um You've seen a lot of situations in the NBA where uh, a coach, even with, with even less success than what Mark Jackson had with the Warriors, they get another job within a year or two, if not right away. And it's been really strange as to why, as to why Mark Jackson has gotten another job. Now, 
had he been aggressively looking for another job. The good guy point. has a pretty good gig as it is. Yeah. You know, sitting next to Jeff Van Gundy on TV. Yep. You can't, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, seven-game losing streaks and, you know, agents and disgruntled players when you're sitting, you know, sitting right there. Uh, so I don't know how aggressively he's been seeking a job. And that, that's only Mark can answer that. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't want to take a dead-end job. You'd rather just sit there, do it, games on NBA and I don't know how much money he's making but you know I'm sure it's pretty good and you can just sit there and you know basically everything's good you only have to work what one day a week that's pretty good pretty good game (laughs) and you're still you're still with the game so but there's only 30 of these uh jobs and if you're a coach you're a coach you want to coach I'm sorry uh so uh it'll be interesting um I don't know I have not talked to Mark Jackson I don't know if he's, uh, you know, if, he, if that's a job he wants or whatever. But I just found it kind of weird that a guy like that never got another shot. Utah Jazz, who stays, who goes? Donovan Mitchell or Gobert? Oh, man. You hit me with some tough questions now. Um, <laughs> I, would, I think within the organization, I think Donovan Mitchell has... Uh, a better standing, and, and and I say it only because of Dwayne Wade. He's close with Dwayne Wade, and Dwayne Wade, as you know, is in the is in the ownership group, right? Uh, and I think there's a sense that Donovan Mitchell is a maybe not a more impactful player because this is a guy again. I don't know if he's ever made an All NBA team. Uh, you know, uh, he's never won like a major award. Meanwhile, he got Rudy Gobert, but three it was three or four time defensive player of the year right uh who's who's made all nba teams and you know plays really good defense year after year uh despite what how people try to knock him down the bottom line is you can go ahead and clown him all you want but the bottom line is talk to the coaches on the other team there are certain things they cannot do because Rudy is there they can't do so they have to tweak their game plan but anyway uh i think that it would probably be more go there if you had to decide between the two, mm-hmm. I think I think the ownership group is in love with Donald Mitchell. I think the fans would probably even say they prefer Donald Mitchell over Gobert. But be careful what you ask for, because that's a bad defensive team without Rudy Gobert. And if they trade him, they better be getting some defensive help somewhere, yeah. some way, somehow. Otherwise, that team is really not going anywhere. It'd be great if they were just his state teammates, because they both need each other. They really do. Uh, but I'm not so sure there's great chemistry between the two. I always got the feeling that Donovan Mitchell, based on his body language and nothing else, his body language, never wanted to throw Rudy Gobert the ball and just kind of, you know, tolerated him rather than embrace him. Okay, now, final question for the so-so golfer, the writer, and the good dad. The crown jewel of questions, the L.A. Lakers. They've got so much work to do and not a lot of assets with which to do it uh, you just wonder which direction they can possibly go. More important than that, it's not one guy making the decision. There's like a whole group of people making the decision about what they're going to do. You know, it, it always confused me. Uh, it starts at the top. You know, if you're Jeannie Buss, you should have a chain of command to stick to the chain of command. I mean, you know, now Phil Jackson's got his his two cents in there. Rob Palenka, you don't know if he's been stripped of power. LeBron James, uh, his agency... With, you know, with, with Rich Paul. I mean, you know, who knows? The bottom line is they've got one major, major, major problem. That's Russell Westbrook and the $46 million he's going to make next year. Mm-hmm. That's just a major problem. I mean, if you trade him, you're going to take back something undesirable in return. Nobody's going to give you assets for Russell Westbrook. Not even just one year, Russell Westbrook. So uh, now I think there's two radical decisions they have to make. Number one, do you trade LeBron James instead? Or, and, and then uh, deal with Russell Westbrook for one year and then build around Anthony Davis. Or two, do you go LeBron James and say, hey, the only way this is going to work is if you give the ball to Russ and let Russ, let, let Russ be the point guard of this team. Let, let Russ handle the ball. Because, you know, last year LeBron handled the ball, but Russ can't play off the ball. He can't shoot. Right. And so I think you got to make one – you got to do one, of, one or the other. you got to give put the ball to Russ's hands and, and hope it works – and tell LeBron to start playing off the ball. 
or you got to trade LeBron. Well, of course, there's a third thing. You can keep things the way they are, fight the boat for another year, waste another year of LeBron's uh, prime or what's left of his prime, and then hope Anthony Davis stays healthy. Anthony Davis, you know, I mean, just look at his record. He just doesn't stay healthy. He misses 15, 20, 25 games every year. And so how can you count on the guy? You know, you just have to hope, like, his bad luck runs out. And he he has a string of years where finally he's healthy. Some of his, some of his injuries are just freak injuries. I mean, you step on someone's foot. You know, that that's not, you know, that can't be counted against him. You know, he just had a string of bad luck. When he's healthy, you know how good he is. And you just have to hope maybe in, 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 in this situation the basketball gods are finally on your side. Uh, because so far in his career, they haven't been. I would completely agree with that. So at the end of the day, looking at Sean Powell's crystal ball, who emerges in the East? Who emerges in the West? It's a tough call uh, either way. But I'm going to go Warriors-Celtics. I do think wow. the winner of the Celtics Bucks is going to represent the East, as good as Miami is and as well balanced as Miami is. Although nothing would surprise me, but I'm going to go Warriors Bucks. I think uh, the, the winner—I mean, I'm sorry, Warriors Celtics. I think the winner of the Bucks Celtics is going to represent the East, and I think the—I uh, think the Warriors are going to give the Suns all they can handle and more. Mm. Uh, and I, I think in the end. As good as Phoenix has been all season long, I really don't think they've been tested that much in the playoffs. I know New Orleans took a couple games, but, you know, it was sort of kind of flukish in nature. And plus, uh, you know, uh, Phoenix wasn't completely healthy. Uh, Booker uh, missed some games. I think the Warriors are going to pull it out in a thrilling seven-game series and represent the West. Interesting. Appreciate your insights, Sean. Always great talking to you, and you stay safe. Okay, same to you. Thank you. He's Sean Powell, NBA.com. Um, I guess you could make a case. Uh, there's, there's a part of me that's kind of rooting for Phoenix because my pal Al McCoy hasn't gotten a ring in his entire 50-year career in the NBA. He's overdue. Chris Paul hasn't got one either. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Let's stay with the NBA. And let's talk to the voice of the Golden State Warriors, Tim Roy. Hello? There he is. Hello, Mr. Roy. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I can't complain. Nobody cares, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I guess I'm about that point in my life too, where nobody nobody really would nobody wants to know that my ankles crack when I wake up in the morning and all that other stuff. You know, yeah. they don't care. No, I subscribe to the the movie The Bronx Tale with Chaz Palminteri yes. when he says to the kid, you know, nobody cares. He's right. <laughs> if somebody he comes up right. to you and says, hey, Tim, how you doing? You think they really care? No, they're just being polite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the Warriors-Grizzly uh, series is intriguing, but the, uh, the story, there was no games yesterday, but the story came out that... Uh, Derek Brooks was suspended for a game for taking out, basically taking out Gary Payton II, and he gets a one-game suspension. I know the players' union would never go for it, but I'm of the belief that if you put a guy out for two weeks, that should be your suspension. How do you feel? Yeah, I I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, yeah, but you'll never get that into the collective bargaining agreement. And... Um, the same thing happened, if you remember, in the regular season, Grayson Allen took out Alex Caruso midair. And Caruso, I think, fractured a wrist and was out for a couple of months, and Allen gets a, a quick suspension. It's really not fair. But, uh, you know, to, to me, I would I would put in something where they would at least get, you know, four or five games or whatever it might be, give the player a chance to appeal that to an independent panel, if you could. And that way, it's you know, it's... it's um, not just a quick thing by the league that the player can maybe get his sentence shortened, if you will. And but but again, that's kind of pie in the sky. It's not going to happen. This is this is this is what it is. And um, you know, the Warriors just have to deal with it. They have to find another way uh, to try to make up for the absence of Gary Payton. The, the, the heartbreaking thing of this, Howard, is that 
all the struggles this kid has gone through. Right. He's a great kid. Yeah, all the struggles he's gone through. This was his moment. This is his moment to shine, to show everybody on the planet what kind of player he is, what kind of heart he has, and he's not going to get that chance now. And and that, that to me, is the heartbreaking thing of it. Look, I, I, I didn't play in the NBA. I played in high school, but... You, you, if you were a dirty player, we knew who you were right, right from right from the opening tip. We knew you were a dirty player. Well, Steve Kerr said it correctly. He said, "I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it was a dirty play. Can't refute it." So now you you look at uh, that video, and I've I've seen the video ten times. Derek Brooks doesn't even move his feet. He wasn't like he was going up to block the shot. He stood there on the ground stationary, took the guy's shirt and pulled him down. I mean. <laughs> That me, you don't have to say it's intentional, but suppose Peyton comes down, and lands on his head, then what? Yeah, and and yeah, exactly, and, and it's it's um, you know, it, there's one thing about being physical. There's nothing about hitting a guy when he's defenseless, and that's what he did. He hit him across the head when he was defenseless in the air, and that's just not, you know, it's not a good look for the league. It's not a good look for him. It's not a good look for the Grizzlies. Um, but again, the, the, you know, the, the Warriors have to kind of take their feelings and throw them aside now because they have to play the rest of the series without Gary Payton, probably play the Western Finals without Pay- Payton if they, if they beat Memphis, and maybe you know, go in the Finals without him. So you know, they have to kind of move on and, and figure it out. So uh, it's just it's really unfortunate. You know, it's re- it really is. And you know, there's no place for that. I don't mind you know, teams being physical. It's the playoffs. It's supposed to be physical. But but to hit a guy midair, you know, you're not really making a play on the ball. It's just, you know, he had no chance of getting that play. You know, the only thing he could do is what he did, and that was to hurt Gary Payton when hitting him like that. So, well, you got anyway. two series right now that are game apiece. They got Boston, Milwaukee. You got Golden State, Memphis, a game apiece. And when you start out a series, you're the road team. Your goal is to split the first two games. Well, the Warriors accomplished that. It's now 1-1. You come back home for two games. And, you know, obviously the goal of the, of the Golden State Warriors defensively, how do you deal with John Morant? A lot easier said than done, as you well know. Well, again, that, that's that, that now this is the other part which kind of keeps us, you know, going back to that play because during the regular season, guarded by Gary Payton the second, John Morant shot 16.7% from the floor. Hmm. So now they have to do it differently. I think they're going to have to do it with multiple bodies, they're going to have to do it with multiple schemes, try to keep him off balance. I think they're going to continue to let him, you know, take the, the perimeter shot. I think they'd much rather have him, you know, hit a couple of threes like he did at the beginning of the game, of game two, than, you know, get to the basket early and get everybody else going. Um, what's, what's interesting, too, that the glass, you know, you can look at it half full as well, in that John Morant had to score 47 points. He had to have an 18-point fourth quarter and to, to win the game. And even with that, the Warriors still had the lead in the last minute of the game. So, you know, I, I think they're doing a lot of things right. They're going to have to come up with a, uh, a different scheme to keep, uh, uh, to keep Morant off balance because, you know, now they don't have Peyton that, who can get out there and really, you know, annoy him for a number of minutes. When you look at uh, where the Warriors are, look, great three-point shooting team, no discounting that. Um, but, you know, having said that, they're getting production uh, aside from that. Uh, I-, I love the ball movement of the Warriors, always have. I mean, everybody touches it. It reminds me of Hoosiers when Gene Hackman would say, every, you know, five passes, five passes or four passes, whatever he said. And the Warriors embody that, that whole idea, move the ball, find the open man, and, you know, let the chips fall, fall where they may. And I, I think that's one thing that, that they can do better in this series is that I think they were a little impatient. They took some contested shots in game two that they'd like to have back. So I think when they're patient and they move the ball, it's a beautiful thing. First of all, it's a, it's a beautiful way to play the game. And then secondly, it's a really efficient way to play the game. When the Warriors have 30-plus assists, on most nights they're unbeatable then because that means if the ball's moving so well that you know the extra pass is being made and guys are getting uncontested shots. And when that happens, you know uh, they have the shooters to make that work in, in a big way. So 
Yeah, I, I agree. When they move the ball, it's, it's really it's fun to see. It's the way the game is meant to be played. You know, was, the game was never designed to be ISO basketball. Uh, we do have that in the NBA because it's an effective way to play. But really, at its core, the game was meant to be a ball movement and player movement type game. I guarantee you, Tim, that if you said to the average NBA fan, uh, who are the stars of the Golden State Warriors? They would say Curry. They would say Draymond. They would say Klay Thompson. I guarantee you Jordan Poole's name doesn't come up until uh, almost like an afterthought. But yet, look what he's doing. Yeah, and you know, that that to me was a, a, a real interesting thing coming into this series, hour because, you know, as well as the Grizzlies have played against the Warriors, they had not played this Warrior team. And by that I mean they were they were healthy. Clay Thompson was getting into his groove, and he, though he hasn't played well in this series. I expect him to play better. Um, you know the uh, the the addition of Pool now makes the Warriors an even more difficult team to guard, especially when they go small, because you can't uh, face guard. Stephen Curry now, because if you do that, then Poole is going to get his defender. If he gets by his defender, where's the help going to be coming in? So it, it's a really interesting, uh, you know, I think, dilemma for the other team now, because you have, you know, this lineup sometimes where you have the three guards, Wiggins and Draymond Green, and the only guy you don't have to guard on the perimeter is Draymond, and he's playing, you know, like a, like a point guard out there. He's directing traffic and making the right plays, and so it's a. Uh, it's a real difficult thing, I think, for, for teams to to encounter. And I think that's a, a way for the Warriors to win this series, is to use that three-guard look to their advantage. Well, you, you we're talking with Tim Roy, the voice of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, you uh, you look at this team, the first guy you think of is John Morant. But let's not forget about Jaron Jackson Jr. 33 points in Game 2, uh, 6 of 9 from the three-point line. I mean, I'm old enough to remember his father, when I was broadcasting the Nets, he was a rookie with the Nets. Uh, you know, excellent defensive player with John Thompson's Georgetown team. Uh, so I guess he's the chip of the old block. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny. I think he's really talented. I think he's got a chance to be a really good player for a long time in this league. And and the only thing that he has that that you know is keeping him from getting there is foul trouble. We didn't see it in game one. And he had that fantastic game, and he, he was hitting all of his threes. But we saw it in game two. And, he, you know, he's an aggressive defender, and you, can, you don't want to take that away from him. But I think when he learns to play aggressive physical defense without fouling, then I think, you know, he's really going to come into his own because, like you said, he's, he's talented, he's big, he's skilled, and he can shoot the ball. So when you put all that together – it's a real difficult thing. If the Warriors can keep him to a dull roar uh, the rest of the series, then I think they're going to be okay because, you know, Moran can score 40, but if, if, if the Warriors keep the other guys from getting, you know, off and having good games, then I think they've got a real good chance to win this. Hey, Tim, you, you, you uh, when this series first began, I looked at it as one team had a lot of experience, championships, etc., and the other team, while young and talented, really didn't know what to expect. Yeah, they finished second in the West, but when it comes to this point in a series where it's all even, you're going back to Golden State, where can Memphis draw from? They certainly can't from experience. That gives, for me, it gives Golden State a decided edge. You would, you would think so. I think that what Memphis has to do is remember just that they're young and that you know, uh, maybe nobody expects them to be in this position and, and just play free and easy and, and use their their youth and their athleticism to their advantage. Um, if, 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 you know, you coach a team like that, it kind of reminds me of the 2013 second-round series the Warriors were playing the Spurs. The Warriors were young. They really didn't know how good they were. Uh, they were finding in the process of finding that out. And they got in that series against San Antonio, and the Warriors split the first two games in San Antonio, and very easily could have been going home up 2-0. And what what happened was that kind of locked in the Spurs. After that, the rest of that series, the, the Spurs were locked in the, the next three games. Every mistake the Warriors made, they took advantage of it and and just buried them. So I'm hoping that happens this time for the Warriors that they're 
playoff experience will come to the forefront as the stage gets bigger and bigger for a young Grizzlies team. Tim Roy, the radio voice of the Golden State Warriors. Let's just, and I'm just, I'm, I'm the guy on the outside. Okay, I, I can afford to do this, you may not. <laughs> but I'm thinking Golden State, Phoenix, Western Final. Uh, a lot of people feel that's the way it's going to go. Interestingly enough, while Phoenix was number one in the West, a lot of people are picking the Warriors to go to the NBA Finals. I mean, I know you know that. Yeah, they, they are picking them. I, I think just think just because of the way they ended the season and because of um, you know the the emergence of Jordan Poole. But the other part about what I look at is that how well the Phoenix Suns are playing. And what they did without Chris Paul, just like what the Grizzlies did without John Morant, that shows you something. It shows that they have some some inner toughness. They show that they're professional. And I think that trip to the finals last year for Phoenix really gave them something. They were a confident team all year long. I think they're on a mission to get back to that finals and win it because they felt they maybe they didn't play as well as they wanted to be playing, you know, in that uh, particular last four games and so uh, i i think if the warriors are l- lucky enough to win this series and beat memphis and go on to phoenix and then, then i think that's going to be a real tough series and i especially and again you, you don't have gary payton the second to help out with chris paul so i think that's going to be a series where the warriors will be really tested and i think it would be a series that i would if the warrior get if the warriors are lucky enough to get there I think uh, be a series that I would predict that would go deep, that probably six, maybe seven. You mentioned Chris Paul. It's interesting to note that Chris Paul, in late in the fourth quarter of their previous games, he's been the go-to guy, uh, and he hasn't disappointed. He's made big shots. He makes big plays. Uh, you know, here's a guy that's uh, you know wants to win a championship. He's never had one. Yeah, and, and, you know, he's had opportunities, and they've kind of slipped through his fingers at times. And, and um, you know, the, a lot of people think he's the best point guard, you know, ever to, to play. Uh, I'm still on the fence a little bit about that, but, but he is certainly one of the best. And he has a, a, a real focus this year. And I think that, that, you know, for the Warriors, they would have to make sure that they were, you know, on the attacking side. But, but. You know, if Chris Paul goes on to win a title, then you know, you'd have to say that's the you know the icing on the cake, the cherry on top, however you want to put it, to what has been a great career. And and he's really one of the smartest players that we've ever seen come into the league. You know, I've met Chris Paul, I've interviewed him, but the guy I'm rooting for, with all due respect, is Al McCoy. Fifty years, oh, yeah. in the, fifty years in the league. I mean, I would love to see him win a championship. There's no doubt that if the Suns were win, that's the guy I'm, I would be happiest for. And um, I have to tell you, Howard, there there are moments where I reflect on where I am in my career and my life, and I think about Al, and I go, "How the heck do I have you know a couple of championships to to have called, and he has none? It just doesn't make any sense to me, especially, you know." I was in Phoenix working for KTAR radio and had the privilege of getting to know Al and, and sitting alongside a few nights there in, at the old madhouse on McDowell and, you know, watch Al do his thing. And which is a, it was like a master class in, in broadcasting the NBA, you know? And, um, the, the thing that, that happened right about that time was they, you know, they signed Tom Chambers, they, you know, the trade for Kevin Johnson, they get all that in place. And from that moment, to probably, I, I, I'm guessing here, but probably in the early 2000s, they were a gold standard franchise. They were a team that was always a threat to win the title, and they were a team that was always, you know, really, really good. And and to me, uh, the, the fact that they didn't get it done is just astounding with all the talent that rolled through the, the Charles Barkley team, you know, the uh, Steve Nash team. You know, what if what if Robert Horry, Horry doesn't, you know, hip check Steve Nash into the scorer's table and they lose Amari Stoudemire for the next game for stepping out of the floor? And what if that doesn't happen? I think the Suns might go on to win the title that year. Um, so, yeah, to me, that, that, that would be the great thing would be Al, you know, getting a ring, Al being able to, you know, get the, the – the adulation and a parade that's that's due him. You know, he's he's the guy we all look up to, and I can't believe how good he is at this point of his life. You know how good he is still on the radio. 
I remember, I don't know if they still have the broadcast meetings before the season starts, uh, usually in New York. Uh, back when I was involved in the NBA, I would sit with Al, Mark Boyle, Neil Funk, um, guys like that, uh, you know, during the meetings. And somebody would say something that would get somebody to laugh. And I remember one time Boyle said to me, do you ever get your hair cut on the road? And I said, well, why do you ask? He goes, well, I know if I did, I know where I wouldn't go. And I said, where's that? And he was pointing, I don't want to mention the guy's name. He was pointing to the back of a guy's head. He says, I'm not going to that city. Well, that started me laughing. Al starts to laugh. Funk starts to laugh. And we disrupted the meeting to where uh, Tom Corelli stopped the meeting and said, you guys want to share the joke with us? <laughs> I said, No. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, I can I can see that. I, I probably I probably was at that meeting. You know, who knows? I, I think that I, I think I was. But yeah, you're talking you're talking Hall of Famers there with the the company you were keeping there. Um, you know, Neil Funk just retired a couple of years ago, and uh, boy, just you know, they they still have meetings. We you know we haven't had one in a couple of years because of the pandemic. I'm hoping that we have one again in the fall. Uh, not a lot of radio discussed in the meetings these days, but uh, but certainly it's a it's to me it's a great chance to to hang out with everybody and and get to talk to everybody. You know, we usually what happens for broadcasters, and you know this, is that you get into a city, you uh, say hi to somebody, ask them about their team, and then you know get ready for your game. And, and after the game, you get on the bus and head out to the next spot. And you really don't get a great you know deal of time to socialize. So that that, that to me was always the best part of the meetings. Well, you know, any time that I had more than a day to spend in Phoenix, uh, I'd always go out to dinner with Al because uh, he always knew the best places in town. Uh, oh, yeah. And, yeah, and the conversation was usually, uh, it got to be where it became a laugh fest. But, you know, I, I, well, I wish... Let me, let me tell you a quick Al story. When I was in Phoenix and they, uh, they had gotten the franchise turned around, they made the playoffs. The first round opponent were the Denver Nuggets. Hmm. So we, we go, and there's an off night. We go get something to eat. We come back, and, and there's a, 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 a bar at the, the Westin. We go to have a, a drink before going upstairs, and there's a piano over there. Hmm. So Al goes over, puts his drink down on the piano, sits down at the piano, and just starts to play and sing a couple songs. Really? And, and I had no idea how good of a mus musician he is. And it was astounding. I mean, he we stayed for probably over an hour just watching Al and listening. It was just it's really one of the coolest things I've ever you know had to experience. You know, as a as an NBA guy was was that night watching him to show you know what a Renaissance guy he really is. Uh, that's I had not heard that. That's that's interesting. It's um, you know it's we're in the business where associations and and you meet guys and all that. And you just it stays with you forever. And even now, I mean, since I've been doing this podcast, I've had you, I've had Al, I've had Funk before he retired, uh, Mark Boyle, uh, Sean Grandy in Boston. I mean, you, you, Eric Reed. I mean, you name it, just about everybody in the league. Uh, before I let you go, uh, anybody who's talking about Chris Paul maybe as the greatest point guard of all time, you might not have heard of Irvin Magic Johnson. Yeah, 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 and that's what that's what I you know you say, and 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 the other thing is it's hard to you know it's it's really hard to compare eras. You know, there's one guy I know who like always discount Bob Cousy because of his lifetime shooting percentage. Well, you know, shots weren't uh, you know weren't uh, the the shooting wasn't as refined back then, but he still controlled the game from the point guard position. You know, there there was a point in our league where if you got fouled while taking a shot. Uh, that still counted as a missed shot. Okay, they don't do that now. And and that had, you know, you look at some of the percentages early on, that's one of the reasons, I think, why, is that, you know, if you got fouled on a shot attempt, you know, you, you still had that miss. But the, you know, to me, it's hard to compare eras because everything's so different. I mean, it, if you, you know, I would just think about, you know, magic today with the uh, nutrition and the refined training techniques and everything else, 
you know, he'd be, he'd be probably would have played longer. You know, he might not have uh, gone, you know, into a power forward mode at the end of his career. You look at a guy like, you know, Will Chamberlain or Bill Russell, they would have, they would have adjusted to any era. The great ones always would. And, you know, Bob Cousy would probably have a three point shot if he played today. Uh, so, you know, the great ones would be great in any time. So when you say that about Chris Paul, I think we all have to kind of take a step back and look at history and 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 try to you know make a judgment and not just numerically, but make a judgment on how that player played, you know, to to his peers and at at that time. Tim, always enjoy talking to you. Enjoy your series. Uh, if I can ask one final question, anything less sure. than a championship would not be acceptable to the Warriors, I believe. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, from the ownership on down, from Joe Lake and Peter Goober on down to the, the, the players, it's, it's, you know, it's there. Uh, they think they're good enough. You know, they have the pieces in place. You know, they, they've rebounded from a couple of tough seasons and made the most of it by acquiring young talent like Poole and like uh, Kaminga. And so I think what they would they wouldn't say this out loud, but I think what they would like to do is, is have a Spurs-like run where you're a threat to win, you know, just about every year. And I think they're poised to do that kind of a run. And, uh, yeah, anything less than getting the NBA Finals, I think, would be uh, a disappointment. Enjoy it. Most importantly, Tim, you stay safe. You too, Howard. Thank you, sir. He is Tim Roy, the radio voice of the Golden State Warriors. Eras uh, are just that. They're different. Magic Johnson who stuck out in the 80s, Larry Bird, you know, Kuzi back in the 50s. I mean, all these guys have played at high levels, and Tim's right. Had they had the training techniques, the nutrition, and so on, back then, they would have played longer. Uh, but could Magic Johnson have played today? Absolutely. Could Wilt Chamberlain have played today? Might, maybe not. As great an athlete as Wilt was, and he was an underrated athlete. I don't know because his style, I mean, he, he was a post-up player. Uh, they don't do that anymore. I mean, the, the ball movement is around the perimeter. The three-point shot is so big. Uh, I don't know if it would have flown back in the 70s, 80s, even the 90s. Uh, I mean, it, it was there. But and my old partner, Cedric Maxwell, used to call the three-point shot fool's gold. No more. No more. I mean, he, he's, he broadcast the Celtics games uh, with Sean Grandy, and the Celtics took 50 threes in their first game with Milwaukee, 43 in their second game. But then again, with Milwaukee's size, that's their only option. But if those threes aren't falling, Boston's going to be in trouble. If they are, quite a different story. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. You stay safe.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.